Amen. All right. Well, good morning, church. We appreciate you being here today. And uh, we want to welcome you. But we do want to have a moment of silence for the Patriot fans. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm just joshing you. Uh, I've been waiting to say that for a long time. <laughs> How many Patriots fans we have here this morning? We got several, yeah, right here. Uh, but the, we have like twenty. We have like twenty, but they're not here today because you know they're emotionally a mess. They've never lost a playoff game, so it's just, it's just fantastic. No. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to our service this morning. We just praise the Lord that you are here. We are uh, beginning a brand new series in the book of Proverbs. So open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. And I am really, really excited about this series. It's going to go on for like eight weeks. And so during this eight-week period, we want to challenge you to read a proverb every day. There's 31 of them, and you will be able to read one every day, and you'll get through the entire book twice in the time of our series. We want you to do that. We want to challenge you to do that. We all want to do it together as a church. So I'm challenging you, and I'm challenging you to do that. I'm asking how many of you will take on this challenge and read with me every morning. I'll be reading like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'll be reading Proverbs. You don't have to read it that early if you don't want to. But if you want to take the challenge, I want you to raise your hand and say, Fleener, you can count on me. I will read Proverbs chapter uh, 1 and one one chapter every day along with you. Keep it up. Keep it up. How many do that? All right. All right, Kevin, get your hand up. All right. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. He's he's rebelling. He wants to be... uh, the evil one. Amen. You don't have to try, brother. It's just there. All right. Proverbs chapter 1. We want to read verses 1 through 7. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So follow along. We will be reading a lot of verses because this is the introduction to the book of Proverbs. And so our goal is that you see that Proverbs is a one-stop shop for your life. A one, you go down to the convenience store, they, they have always have what you want. That's what the book of Proverbs is. It's a, it's a journal. It's, it's, it's basically an instruction manual for life. And so uh, we have a lot of verses in, in this first introduction to really show you how it is a one-stop shop for life, all right? So let's read these first verses together. It says, uh, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and help them understand the insight of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to lead disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, Knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. 
by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of true knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is probably the greatest parental parental book that's ever been written. All right? Bar none. In this book, you'll find everything you need to raise your children. It is fantastic. It's not just a book for that, but it is a spiritual instruction manual for parents. Not only to, to teach them, but to show them how to live full out, full throttle, and faithful followers of Jesus Christ. This book literally will help us with that. So no matter how old your children are, you need to master this book of Proverbs. All right? So, so if, if you're a young person here today, young adult, okay, you need to master the book of Proverbs because it explains how to have a deep, meaningful relationship. Relationships, actually. Okay? For example, you don't need, it, it doesn't matter how many uh, social media friends that you have. Did you hear me? It doesn't matter. Let me, let, me, let me give you a verse here in Proverbs 18, 24. Look at the screen. It says this. A man of too many friends, what's it say? Comes to ruin. And here the world has us going on here and wanting more and add, and then we think we're something. We have a lot of social media friends. This is what this, the Bible talks about. There is a friend that you need to worry about, and he sticks closer than a brother. If you are married... You need to master this book. So if you're a parent, if you're a young adult, if you're married, you need to master this book. Now listen to this verse. Proverbs chapter 5. Again, a lot of verses, 18 and 19. Let your foundation be blessed. Your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now notice this. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you all the time with delight. And I love this last sentence. And be intoxicated. Did you hear that? Be drunk. You'll only hear this in this church, all right? I want you to be drunk, all right? But I want you to be drunk on her love. Always. You don't talk about great marital advice. You'll find it in the book of Proverbs. If you're a leader, it is also a great book. For you to grasp, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says this. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. In other words, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. All right, so just kind of an introduction. Let's look at the purpose of the book of Proverbs. Have to go back to chapter 1, look at verse 2 and verse 7. The purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline. Did you cast that? The purpose of the book is to teach us wisdom, discipline, to help us with understanding insight to the wise. The fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of true knowledge. But fools reject wisdom. And we're going to find out what wisdom is in just a moment. And discipline. One commentary put it this way. Uh, his paraphrase was, 
put wisdom this way, start with God. The first step of learning is bowing down to the Lord. Isn't that good? The first step in learning is understanding who God is and bowing down to him. So, so the book is written by the author Solomon. The majority of the Proverbs, of course, is from Solomon. Solomon lived uh, or ruled in Israel from 971 B.C. to 931 B.C., which is 40 years. He was reigning over the nation of Israel. He had written 3,000 Proverbs. Not all, all of them are in his book, but he, he wrote 3,000. And he also wrote 1,500 songs. That's amazing. This guy was genius. And so what we want to do is we want, we want to look at his life just, just in a small portion so that you get to know who Solomon is, all right? And we're going to do it in the form of questions to help us make application to his life and some of the things that God was teaching him. So the first question is this. Can God use you? Can God use you regardless of your background? Can God use you regardless of your past? Some of you are here this morning. You, you may have uh, uh, been a product of a single mother. Your dad was never around. Or you, your mother gave birth and she was never around. You were adopted. Or maybe you, you, you were raised in this, this, this hostile family where they're constantly fighting. I mean, I don't know what your background is. But Solomon had a rough beginning. When you think about, I want you to go to, uh, or just write this down because it's in, in first, or Second Samuel chapter 12, 24. I'm just going to read the first sentence as we think about Solomon and his background. It says this, Then David comforted Bathsheba, now notice what it says, his wife. So Solomon's parents, David and Bathsheba. That's Solomon's parents. Now, it says that he comforted Bathsheba, his wife. Well, let's, let's rewind back further when David was king and he didn't go out to war with all the other soldiers. He decided to relax. He went up to the top of his, his uh, castle, if you will. He looked over and he saw Bathsheba, which was another man's wife, and he lusted after her. All right? So... First of all, Solomon is a product of a forbidden relationship. Everybody see that? Solomon, or David and Bathsheba were not supposed to be together, but he lusted after her, then he committed adultery with her, and then he murdered her husband, and then he had the hand of God coming down hard on them, and God took their firstborn. And so this is... Solomon's parents. So I don't know what, what kind of uh, background you have, but make application right here. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've done. I'm the, that, Solomon didn't have that bad of a past, but his parents did. But David had a horrible background. And God still used him as the measure of a great king. Understand that. So even David, God forgave. And Solomon had this horrible beginning, but God used him in this fantastic way. So the answer to the question, can God use you, is emphatically yes. Not just yes, he wants to use you. 
He's designed you in your heart, your, your intellect, will, and emotion. He designed you to be used for his kingdom. And to reject that and say no is definitely in the boundaries of sin. Okay, so that's a little bit of Solomon's past. Okay, so, so, so David as king, he, he lusts after this woman. He marries her, or, or he, he, he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, and then he shortly, uh, in short story, it's a long story, but in short, he, he has Uriah go out into battle, and when they're fighting the battle, he has all his troops pulled back so that Uriah is there, and he's murdered. So David murders Bathsheba's husband. Then she loses her son in the chastisement of God. Now, now read verse 24 with me. So then... After Bathsheba loses her husband, after she loses her son, he goes to comfort her. You think she's kind of an emotional mess? Everybody say amen. Okay, she just walked, went through some great loss. So he goes and comforts her. Of course, he marries her. Then he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to a son. Now, And this is fantastic. David named him Solomon. Now, notice that last phrase, and the Lord loved Solomon. Isn't that good? <laughs> no matter what the background, no matter what's going on in even David's life, God loves David's son. God loves Solomon. Not just that. As we look further in the next verse, verse 25, the man, now listen very carefully, the man that God sent to David to point his finger at David and say, you are the man, you are living in sin, I know it, and I'm going to judge you. That same Nathan is found here. Look what it says. And send word through Nathan, the prophet, that he should name him Jedidiah. Why? Because it means beloved of the Lord. Is everybody following this? So the same guy that brings horrible news, God says, I'm going to use the same guy to show David blessings and love. To show David that he's forgiven. To show David that it's all turned around. As a matter of fact, this reveals to us, this is vital, the character of our God. So listen to Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah 55, 7 says. Let the wicked change their ways and banish their very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And yes, turn to our God, for he will what? Forgive. Hmm. <laughs> What's it say? He will forgive generously. Don't you love that? Am I the only one that likes that? He, he forgives abundantly. Let's go to Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. Where is there another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? Overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever. Now notice this. Because you. Notice where the forgiveness comes from. It comes from him. Why? Because, he, because you delight the Father. God delights in showing grace. Our God loves forgiving us. Isn't that good? It's not, it's not that we're so wonderful. It's he's so wonderful. And he is the one 
that loves and enjoys forgiving us and bringing us back. David goes in Psalms chapter 51, and he lists all his sins. And after a full year, he confesses finally, and God begins to use him again. So it doesn't matter what your background is, where you've come from, that always brings us this insecurity because we're not like everybody else. And Satan pounces on us. Our enemy, the flesh, pounces on us, and the world pounces on us because we're not like them. And so that brings us insecurities. And so God wants to and is designed to use you. So the answer to the question is yes. So let's look at the second question. Again, do you see a little bit about Solomon there? I hope you do. Okay, Using that as a question, then we're going to answer the question. Number two, does prayer change your life? Does prayer change your life? I'm going to look at Solomon in a couple of verses. Of course, now he's king in 1 Kings chapter 3. All right? 1 Kings chapter 3. He's king now, and he doesn't know what to do with this great nation of gods. And so he comes to the Lord in verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. So he doesn't know what to do. And so before this verse, he sacrifices a thousand offerings to God. Why did he do that? Because he's seriously in need. When you're in need, you do drastic things. Here's Solomon's king. And David is the greatest king of all times. And how in the world is he going to measure up? So he goes to the Lord. He sacrificed a thousand sacrifices. And he prays. And this is his prayer. Listen, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. I don't know the way around this kingdom. Give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people to help them know what's right and wrong. So when he sacrificed a thousand offerings, God came to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask anything and I will give it. It's kind of like the promises we have in this book. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He tells us to call unto him, and he says, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you've never experienced. What a promise to us. And when do we really grab a hold of that? When we're in need. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Rather than taking advantage of it all the time, we, we really, when we get serious like Solomon, that's when we grab a hold of these verses, uh, 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 knock and it shall be opened, and ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find. These promises, we grab a hold of them, we storm the gates of heaven and he hears us. So we have the same thing that Solomon. So, so he prays for wisdom in verse 9. Verse 10, the Bible says that the Lord was pleased with Solomon's because he asked for wisdom. Verse 11 says that God actually gave him wisdom. He was pleased because he didn't ask for the riches and he didn't ask for the death of his enemies. And so the Lord answered in verse 12 and says, I'm going to give you this. Then in verse 13, he says, I'm not just going to give you wisdom. He said, because you asked this and you didn't ask stuff for yourself, I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you fame. 
So he lists these three things. I'm telling you that Solomon's life was drastically changed. Because in the time of need, he didn't go to his dad. He didn't go to his counselors. He went directly to God and said, God, I don't know how to even walk around. I don't even know how to behave as king. I need you. And guess what? God showed up. So the answer is, it changes our lives. Third question. This is a good question. Does bad company corrupt good character? Does the people I hang around with, the people that I'm close to, do they influence me for positive or negative? Do they influence me? Most of the time, we don't worry about that because we want to hang around with the people we want to hang around with. The ones that like us and the ones that put up with us, we want to hang around. Well, let's look at Solomon, okay? Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. A lot of verses, all right? Again, shows you that Proverbs is a one-stop, for, one-stop shop for all of our needs. That's why we want to read it every single day. Listen to what it says. It says in verse 4, it says, In Solomon's old age, okay, verse 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, as soon as Solomon's king, first thing he does is he goes over and gets Pharaoh's daughter and marries her. Then he begins to get a talking to by God. God specifically says in verse 2, he says, hey, uh, now, uh, don't mix with those people around you. Not because of their race, but because of their religion. Everybody hearing me? That's God. He didn't want them marrying somebody that didn't believe like they believed, that didn't put God first. All right? And so he says, don't do it. So what did Solomon do? He goes out and gets 700 wives. And 300 concubines. The first thing we ask is, are you an idiot? I mean, seriously. You're wondering what I'm going to say, right? You're just, you're just sitting on the edge of your seat. Okay. But God continually rebuke him and says, the reason I don't want you marrying these women is because they'll turn your heart away from me. So in, De- in Solomon's old age, Listen to what it says. They turn his heart to worship other gods instead of being fully, completely faithful to his God. So what happened? They influenced him. Now, wait a minute. Solomon, who, who was so wise, it didn't, he wasn't immune from the influence of those that he spent time with. They actually influenced him. Yet he was one of the wisest men of all times. What's the the thought? We will become like those we choose to be around. There is no escaping the reality. If you want to be wise, hang around with wise people. If you want to be spiritual, hang around with spiritual people. You want to be stupid? You know where I'm going. So the answer is yes. It corrupts. And so we have to be careful. So that's, that's Solomon. Okay? 
in the form of questions, in the form of applications, so we can learn from Solomon. Okay? Now, let's, let's go on to the definition of wisdom and the definition of fear the Lord. Again, introduction to the book of Psalms, because the book of Psalms is all about wisdom. And the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So let me give you the definition of wisdom. It is embracing God's word and living it out. Okay, you need to write this down in your phone. You need to put this somewhere. Wisdom is embracing God's word and then living it out. Now, Charles Stanley is a guy that I love to listen to. I haven't listened to him for a long time, but I love listening to his preaching because he, he always incorporates scripture in his teaching. And I, I, love, I, I love to listen to a preacher that incorporates teaching rather than story after story after story. And so he's got all this, and, and this is what he said. Now listen very carefully. He said, wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. <laughs> and for years, I grabbed on that and used it and understood that's what, I want to be able to see from God's perspective. But it, it came short for me. And so it's not only seeing from God's perspective, but it's also living it out, applying it. And so this definition, I think, is really great, embracing God's word, embracing the teaching. It becomes yours, just like that video we played before the service. This is, we believe, this is God's breathed instruction manual for our life. We believe it. We just don't have it up. We believe it. Wisdom is embracing it, believing it, but then living it out. That's wisdom. But then it goes on in verse 7, and he says, the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So we need a definition of the fear of the Lord. So let me give it to you. Awe and reverence for our loving Father. Awe and reverence for our loving Father demonstrated by a life of wisdom. Demonstrated by a life of embracing the Word of God and living it out. Everybody follow that? Because that's the definition of wisdom. Okay? Awe and reverence for our God demonstrated by believing this book, embracing it, and living it in a daily basis. Practicing what it actually says, not just going to church on Sunday and putting our time in. Guys, hear an amen. I went to church, God, so get off my back. I went to church, God, so give me a little favor. I went to church, God, so answer my prayer. No, we believe this book, and we're practicing it on a continual basis. It's not just something we just, you know, believe in the distance. We embrace it. Now, why embrace the Word of God? Why should I fear and awe and reverence God and... And live that way instead of my way. Right? I love to live my way. How many here love to live and fulfill the desires of the flesh? How many? Are, are you sleeping? I know you're all as wicked as I am. Come on. 
We're broken people, remember? My flesh is very strong, and I love to do things that aren't good for me, especially in the eating. Can you hear me? Yeah. My wife bought me this carrot cake. I mean, just a piece, just a slice, but that thing was humongous. And I ate the rest of it last night, which is about that much of it, you know, just wrong. But it was the woman, Lord, that thou gave me. <laughs> so let me give you six things. It's only 20 after we've got plenty of time. Six reasons why we should fear and awe the Lord. Again, a lot of scripture, so let's begin here. Number one, we fear and should, should be reverencing God and living it all because he is the creator. He's the creator. Proverbs chapter 22, and all these will be in Proverbs from now on. Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. God created us. Now, this takes us back to the book of Genesis. It takes us back to 2.7 where God took of the earth and he formed this man, and then he leaned over and breathed in him the breath of life, and Adam came alive. But it also takes us back further. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created something from nothing. He created matter from nothing. Today, when we create something, we create something out of something. But God created something out of nothing. So we should stand back at all because we wouldn't even exist without Him. Number two, we should fear God because He controls all things. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. Now listen to this. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. What? We may throw the dice, but the Lord... What? We... What about, what about Vegas that lulled the dice, huh? huh? We may throw the dice, but how they fall, he determines. Do we really genuinely believe that? Do we, do we believe that when we go to Vegas and we gamble that, that he wants us to lose? I mean, the, the, uh, the loaded die, I mean, do we really? I mean, I mean think about that. Lord, tell me, please, please, please. Oh, that was wrong. I mean, do we, is, does he control, does he control that much of our lives that he even controls whether this is going to be a four, six, five, three? Do we believe that? How about the loaded dice? Well, they know it's going to come up seven. They know it's going to come up 11. They know it's going to come up when, when Joseph's brothers were on, they were sitting by the tree, here comes Joseph, you know, and they, they're making a decision, should we throw him in the pit or should we kill him? They decided to throw him in the pit. Who made that decision? God tells us later, it was him. 
It wasn't the brothers. So the thought is, God is in control that when I drop these, he, already, he, he not only knows, he determined it. That, that. Boom. <laughs> With that, I wish I had emoji up there. Boom. <laughs> Listen to this next verse. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whether he wishes. So my hand, and there's water in it, are, are, and, and as the water is going, I'm able to turn the water this way or this way. The Bible says the heart of the king, that means his whole being, his intellect, will, and emotion is in the hand of the Lord. The people who are over us in authority. Everybody finding the example here? Everybody in our authority, their hearts are in the hand of the Lord. And God determines it. The direction. The policies. All of these things are in the hand of the Lord. And so we can go directly. I believe This, this, about, about two years ago, I decided that I was going to go to God for a specific policy issue. And I prayed to God for a year, and guess what happened? God moved, and the policy came into being. Will God listen to our prayers and change the heart of the king? Yes. We don't have to go to the king and ask. We can't even get into the king. But God hears us, and he can turn the heart of the king. Number three, why should I reverence and fear the Lord? Why should I embrace this book? Hey, because he's in control. Number three, because he hates evil and injustice. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, are six things that he hates, yea, seven. Okay, so look. Let's just kind of breeze through this real quick. Uh, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. A haughty, haughty eyes, lying tongue, uh, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person that sows discord among the family. Those are seven things God hates. And so why do we need to embrace that? Because if we know he hates it, that's the last thing we want to get involved with. If somebody's spreading lies and causing discord, the last thing I want to do is be associated with them. Can I hear an amen? Why? Because God hates it. I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be anywhere around that because God literally spells out he hates Number four, why should we reverence and love him? Because he knows us intimately. Proverbs 15, 11 says, even death and destruction hold no secrets from the Lord. How much more does he know the human heart? <laughs> right now, as you're sitting there looking at me, he knows what you're thinking. He doesn't only know what you're thinking. He knows your intention. Sometimes we don't even know that. The Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. 
Who can know it? The answer is God. We, should, we just should stand at all at the fact that he's in control and he knows us intimately. Number five, not only does he know us, but he's intimately involved in our lives. He's working in our lives. In other words, he just didn't save us and say, okay, go your own way, and when you come to heaven, we'll start up a relationship again. doesn't say that, okay? As we're going to see here, he's involved working intimately in our lives. So let me, let me give you five ways he's working in our lives, all right? Quickly, five ways. Number one, he provides us safety and protection. Listen to this. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress, and the godly run to it and are safe. So there's this, there's this fortress, and God says, I'm the fortress. Well, in, in your strong towers, in your strong cities, all right, in the middle of the city, there's these strong fortresses in the Old Testament. And when somebody would come and attack the walls, all the people would run to it, first grab all their weapons out of the tower, to defend the tower, and then everybody else would run in, that aren't soldiers, run in, and they are safe in this fortress that they couldn't get in, that the enemy couldn't get in. The enemy had to fight over the walls, had to get through the soldiers to get to the strong tower. That's the picture God is describing. And so the people that run into the tower are safe and secure because the soldiers are fighting on the outside. Here's the idea. God says, run to him and I'll protect you and keep you safe and fight your battles. Do you see the picture? It's fantastic visualization of what our God does for us. He he keeps us safe and he protects. Secondly, he purifies us. Listen to this verse. Proverbs 17, 3, it says, Fire tests the purity of the silver and gold, so the Lord tests our hearts. Okay, we understand the testing process. That heat brings all the junk in the silver and the gold to the surface. They wipe it off, and that's the purification process. As we go through the fires of life, okay, God reveals to us all those impurities. Can I hear an amen? He reveals that he brings them to surface where we can see them. And then he wants us to get rid of it. And those are the tests of life so that we can become more and more like him. Number four, okay, Uh, we fear the Lord, or excuse me, uh, number three, the Lord delights in our prayers. Okay, so so we're specifically talking, how is he intimately involved in our lives? He delights in our prayers. Let's look at Proverbs chapter uh, 15, verse 8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayer of the upright. Now, notice the word delight. We read that and we just brush over it. But let's think about the setting here for this morning. Let's think about you in your prayer time. As you are praying, God, as you are praying and you're lifting your voice up to God, God looks down and he smiles. Your prayer brings great joy to the heart of God. Think about that for a moment. Four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, I, I get up 
pretty well every day at four or five in the morning. I have my hour, an hour and a half, and then I'm back in bed. Can I hear an amen? I don't know why God has designed my clock, but I've been doing that for the last three months. I get up and I have this great leather chair that I get into, have my coffee, my water, and I had this great big old blanket over me, and I'm just praying to the Lord, and I'm reading his word, and it's a great time. Every time I just lift my voice, I bring joy to the heart of my Savior, my God, just by praying and asking for him to reveal his truth to me. Asking him to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Help me to be intoxicated with his spirit. He delights in my prayer. Proverbs 29, or 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. He leans over. He listens to the prayers of the righteous. And then number four, he disciplines us. In Proverbs chapter 3, it talks about that. And then the last one, uh, he provides his word, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He provides his word, and he, he tells us how to go after it. Listen to verse 4 and 5. Search for them as you would silver. Seek for them like hidden treasures. How many of us actually seek the scriptures out like gold? You're trying to find a principle and a truth, and you want God to speak to you. You want to understand this book, so you're searching for gold as hidden treasures that will change your view, change your life, and give you power. I mean, how many of us are searching? That's how he gives us the word. He wants us to search it out. Okay? That's, that's what he does for us. That's why we should stand in awe because of who he is and what he's done. The last point, number six, okay, we talk about why we should fear the Lord. It's because he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Our God can be trusted. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 29, 25, and then we're going to close. Fearing the people is a dangerous trap. But trust in the Lord means safety. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust their own insight are fools. Did you see this? If you trust somebody else's insight, you're a danger of them bringing you in bondage. If you trust your own insight, you're a fool. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. So as we conclude with this introduction, okay, show you a little bit about Solomon. First, a little bit about the book of Proverbs, a little bit about Solomon, and then why we should strive for wisdom and fearing the Lord. Why in the world should we embrace the book and live it out? Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to find out. But here, here's what I want you to do. This is your assignment Beginning of this service, all the way for eight weeks, I want you to every single day read one chapter in the book of Proverbs. You already committed to it, and so I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you. Every time I see you, I'm going to ask you, how you doing in reading the book of Proverbs? Have you read this week? Have you read this day? Amen. I'm going to talk to you about those things, all right? How many is open for me calling you, texting you? Amen. Good. Okay, so I'm going to be engaging in your life. And I'm going to have some other people engaging, asking you why. Because we need accountability. Can I hear an amen? Again, we are a mess. Not just you. I'm a mess. 
Our flesh is strong and powerful, and we need to defeat it. Well, the only way we can defeat our flesh, the enemy, is together. Scripture teaches that. And so we're going to master the book of Proverbs. can't master it, but we're going to strive for the next two months to read it through twice. And I promise you, you're going to come away wiser than you were before. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We just thank you so much for your word. And we're just excited about you just dropping this book into our laps and, and allowing us to study it for the next eight weeks. We pray that as we jump into it and we learn these wonderful truths, that Father, your Holy Spirit would help us to embrace it and then live it out so that we might have the abundant life that you promised us in John 10, 10. God, how I pray you'd help us to get in the book, speak to us when we're in the book, and come away with truth. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Let's all stand as we sing this last song.